Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm so thrilled about what we've been doing in the last, uh, I don't know, 72 years, but primarily the last two and a half days has been our winter share. And you, the listener, our friends, our supporters, the people that we sh- show up and love on every day have really turned around and loved back on us. So thank you. Uh, you've helped make our winter share an amazing, amazing experience. I'm in studio with Dr. Peter Kapsner. And Peter, uh, you you felt the love as well, didn't you? Oh, boy, it was incredible the last two and a half days. And again, I know we, we referenced it, didn't we, as we talked about the share that it's a tricky time in our world. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much darkness. There's just we don't really know that even when the calendar flips to 2021, that doesn't automatically mean things are going to become suddenly better. That uncertainty remains. Right. And, and so, you know, it would be terribly understandable if people just wanted to kind of hunker down and maybe hold tight and, and just say, you know, I kind of kind of do me, you know, for, for the <laughs> yeah. season ahead. And, and boy, it was just the exact opposite of that. I mean, just coming into studio today and talking with a couple of other faith radio people on the way out and they were overwhelmed. I mean, the whole, I think the whole station has been overwhelmed. And, and I think it's just a reminder again that there really is a different kind of kingdom, of course, right? That, mm-hmm. that just, it plays by a different set of rules. And the listeners clearly demonstrated again today, they just play by a different set of rules. I don't just mean the financial part of it, just what they said, the encouragement, how, their perspective on life. It was really a, a time that was, I think, uplifting for everybody involved here, yeah. but also the listeners as well. I'm very inspired by people that listen and support us. I am too. Write to us and let us know and they call and they leave messages and it is, it's so humbling. It really is. I can't think of a, a better word than just humbling. And gifts continue to come in. We were I just know. sitting here in studio, and, and another well, we one any, came through. We yeah. don't have any callers anymore in the phone room, but we look at a couple of gifts that have come in in the last yeah, they 10 be minutes. Worth, it would be worthwhile gushing, right, over Anonymous in New Richmond. And, yeah, of course, and Anonymous in right New Richmond gave a $400 a gift. Just incredible, right. And, yeah. and, and a new donor uh, that from uh, from Dalton, Wisconsin, it looks like as well, just came in about a half an hour ago with, with, a, with a, a $40 gift. gift. And that's a first-time first time gift. Giver. So it's incredible. You, know, you start uh, making gifts, and you start... I know those gifts will increase too because we watch it happen every we do every time we do a share. Yeah, yeah, incredibly grateful. So, do you want to talk about uh, how we need to start praying over our prayer series because our guest hasn't shown up yet? <laughs> it seems like it might not be a terrible <laughs> idea at this point. You know, I think uh, we could have some extended bumpers. There's there's lots of ways we could spend this hour together. But yeah, yeah we we are waiting for Eric. And I wonder if he got a little bit of wind that he knows that we're just a little bit jealous about this guy. We are. The guy yeah. is amazing. Uh, got a resume unlike anybody else. And we call him Eric Petit. He's the professor and chair of theology at Biola University. And he did spend 10 years in his past career as an underwater welter. I, I mean, check your manhood, Kapsner. How does that make you feel? <laughs> oh, no, I went home. I was never more insecure than oh, going home no. that night last time we talked to him. That's like I, the most dangerous job you can do. It is. I, I Googled welding. it when I got home, and, and I thought, I can't believe 10%, I think, was the stat of underwater welders don't make it. They, <laughs> they, they die on the job, which I guess makes sense when you combine some measure uh, uh, of um, electricity and water and fire and all of what's going on down there. It's, yeah. It is not a safe profession. But, of course, Eric has no problem doing no, that for no, a period of time. he's Eric. 
No, he's there. He's got perfect he's hair. Petit. He's about six three. He's oh, got yeah. a, you know Rocky Balboa jaw. The yeah. whole thing. Yeah, we don't really like him, but you know we do want him to show up on the we show. We definitely today. want him to show up. Yeah, on we the definitely show. do yes. because he is uh, winsome and bright and articulate, and he is uh, quite an interesting person and we had him on our salvation series and we had a blast with him yeah yeah again and, and like you said he was the kind of person that you could throw just about any kind of pitch at right fastball curveball slider sinker doesn't yep, matter and he yep. would be able to to just square up on that thing and hit it out in, yep. in terms of his scriptural background his theological capacity so i know uh producer ryan's trying to hunt him down right now and, and hopefully we get a hold of him soon yeah and the guest i had on just before was lance hahn and he wrote a book on how to live in in fear and it's that's the name of the book how to live in fear mastering the art of freaking out which is uh, interesting because i think all of us have had those heart palpitations and maybe a little bit of shortness of breath and yeah. a little bit of panic attacks you've had a few haven't you i have absolutely yeah, I you know and i didn't mean to bring that up if you wanted to keep that no no, secret. no it's in the moment. <laughs> seems <laughs> to be out there now it's a little late at yeah, this point <laughs> You can't really dial that back. I think we're past the seven-second delay. No, I mean, you know, and, and there's, <laughs> they're sort of unexplainable, you know, when they happen. I know it's been interesting to be in the classroom these last 15, 16 years. I've referenced it a lot. But but the rise of anxiety and panic and, and uh, then subsequently the depression as well has really gone uh, through the roof. And, and some of that is just what we're subject to in the world around us. And as a young father of five kids, as as well as going through a Ph.D. program and trying to run a business and all of what goes on with that, you know, there, there's a lot of fear that gets associated with that. And I've certainly have woken up, and I'm sure some of our listeners can can empathize with this, in the middle of the night, unexplainably, and, and your heart is racing. I'm sure my blood pressure is about 400 over 200 at that oh, yeah. point. And, and, and trying, you know, trying to talk yourself off the ledge in those moments when you, when you, you you know it's probably just an anxiety-ridden thing. Um, this We are in this prayer series. Honestly, Bill, the only thing that I'll—you can kind of stabilize yourself. You can kind of think your way through it a little bit after maybe 20 or 30 minutes. But I don't know that I ever could really fall back asleep with any kind of peace until there was a time in prayer in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. It was a time of just sort of giving over. It, it, I realized so often in those panic attacks how my hands were being—they were gripping things tightly in this mm-hmm. world around. And and that's not—I don't want to make panic— attack simple, like there's an easy way out of them. Right. There's not. But that was one of the things that I realized was that I was like, wow, I'm really afraid of my future and some of these things. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Lance brought up in the last hour, and I'm going to keep referring to Lance because I don't think we're getting Eric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the time is ticking. Yeah, it's ticking away. It is indeed. And I do want to open up uh, our text line to let For listeners sure. say, uh, please join us with uh, something that has gone on in your prayer life, your prayer journey, where maybe a prayer was answered and then let us know what length of time it was. Was it a prayer that got answered that day, uh, 10 years later, a month later, 30 years later? I find it so interesting that we, uh, and Lance said in the last hour, Peter, I don't know if you heard this, but he said, sometimes when we go to prayer, we're not really praying to God as much as we are uh, hashing over our own worrisome thoughts. Mm. That's not how we're, we take our request to the Lord, where we go to him and we sit and worry about our thoughts. Right. Yeah. You know, you said, you said that, uh, as, and I know he said that as part of the last hour of the show, but and you and I, as part of this prayer series, have really been intrigued with why we go to prayer, what happens when we go to prayer. And, and I think what he described, what Lance described is very uh, much akin to what many of us do when we go to prayer, which is really, we sit there and worry or we think, or we're hoping to get some sort of peace in the midst of it. And, and that's not a bad reason at all to go to prayer. I mean, that that's, 
uh, very similar to the kind of the panic attacks that I was describing. It, there's times where you need to have some things revealed and some things sorted out in your soul about that. But what I've loved about the prayer series is just the invitation to sit in God's presence, to, the, to worship God, to pray through scriptures. There's been so many different forms of prayer, but I think most of us, or at least many of us, tend to go to prayer most often when we are filled with worry or concern uh, as opposed to this sort of ongoing relationship. And I know you and I have talked about that quite a bit, that, that what does it mean to have a daily life of prayer uh, in that? And I would certainly, like you said, love to hear from listeners. We've heard from the last two and a half days on so many things and then share, but questions, comments, uh, things about prayer life, we'd love to have them text in to to the studio here during this hour while we wait for Eric the T. Yeah, right? Eric but, the T. Yeah, I mean, the number, dog. T might, dog. He may or may not show up. He may or may or may not show up. But we'd love to hear from the listeners yeah. at 877-933-2484. I know we've said that number about 10,000 times That's in the last okay. uh, That's couple okay. days, but what a fun way to have the listeners participate in this hour. Yeah, it would be it would be wonderful to hear it because we're, uh, I just got a couple of messages from listeners. Uh, this is entertaining to me in a sweet way because uh, uh Justin, who's a listener, said, speaking of giving, I realized I gave to the wrong faith radio last night. (laughs) I was going so fast, I didn't even look, so I gave to some faith radio in Alabama. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, blessings on Alabama. Alabama's thrilled that you gave. Yeah, you gave. Yeah, so thank you for that. Another uh, comment that came in, and this, I'll probably need your help on this, Peter, although um, if you have your Bible open, this is Jeremiah chapter 10, and the comment is, Bill, while you're waiting for your guest, not to be critical, but for purpose of clarification, I've heard Jeremiah 10, 1 through 16, used by Christians according to Scripture to ban the use of a Christmas tree. What are the thoughts of you and your guest from a biblical perspective? I tried to talk slowly to give you a chance to read it. Yeah, 16 verses is a lot to to work through here. Um, It was Jeremiah 10, 1 through 16. Yep, 10, 1 through 16. I'll read the question again. Uh, I've heard Jeremiah 10, 1 through 16, used by Christians, according to Scripture, to ban the use of a Christmas tree. What are the thoughts of you and your guests from a biblical perspective? Boy, I don't, Bill, in reading through the passage, I mean, it does talk a bit about um, idolatry. Then it does talk about, for the practices of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold, and they fasten it with hammer and nail, so it will not totter. Now, I'm not entirely sure what that reference point would be, mm-hmm. but, but clearly um, there was a lot of pagan worship going on in the time of Israel, and they yeah. were in the time of Jeremiah specifically, where they were blending together a lot of um, pagan practices with their own uh, Israeli Jewish practices. They were supposed to be serving Yahweh himself, and they were bringing in all sorts of other realities. So I'm guessing that that was the reference point there. But that said, uh, the Christmas tree, when you look at the origin of it, does, is not. it is actually anchored in um, in more pagan or, or secular kinds of ideas and traditions. It wasn't an initially a Christian symbol, but, uh, but Christianity is filled with many times in which it has adopted symbols that have come from maybe a pagan or a secular background, and it has repurposed it and reimagined it. So you can kind of see either sides of this story. You, if you were putting up a Christmas tree because you wanted to blend worship with some sort of pagan deity <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, along, with, along with God himself, that would be a problem. That was always the problem of Israel. But there's other times in which Christians say, you know what, we're going to take that symbol and, and we are going to sanctify it and we are going to um, reimagine what the symbol is about and we're not going to associate it with pagan worship. So, right. you know, I, I've heard both sides of that story. I think I can sympathize with both sides. I'm not just trying to find a middle ground here yeah. on that. But, but I think 
there's all sorts of things that uh, can be taken back from the way the world uses them to, to create a, a real sacred reality with mm, God. I like that answer. That's pretty good, Peter. Well, you know, it, for, for reading through a couple of verses, it's actually a very intriguing passage about that. And, and again, I, I do think we're on safe ground to say that so the, the prophets had two major problems with uh, Israel when they would come and hear the word of the Lord. One was that they were not treating the least and the lost and the broken among them as part of the community. And number two, they were blending together different religious traditions with the traditions uh, of their Jewish faith and that Yahweh was just one option among yeah. many. So I, I'm relatively certain that that's what was going on there. Yeah. Well, we're experiencing what we thought um, what we thought was going to be a, a really great winter share, and it turned out to be even better than gr- really great. And it just, I mean, I came in again so, and, and so saw the numbers. That's yeah. an answered prayer, it for is, sure. For sure. And we've been praying about winter share for a long, long time. Yeah. Because we, we start praying early for our uh, our times of uh, asking for support. And the first listener, Bridget, she said, I have waited as long as 29 years for an answer to a prayer. 29 And as short years. as one to two minutes. Both were amazing answers. Oh, I would love to hear more from Bridget about what she'd the nature probably, of the prayer was. She'd probably say. I mean, you know, our text line, we're not limited to 150 characters, right? No, we're Bridget not. 600. Us, we got 600, yeah, 600 Bridget characters. Bridget could give us a little more detail. That'd be phenomenal. Yeah. I'd let 29 years, she said, between, yeah. and so then one to two minutes. Yeah, we're going to talk about prayer this uh, hour with uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner. So if you have a, a comment or a question, we'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. Again, we're uh, so full of gratitude in our hearts for what's going on the last two and a half days. It's been utterly amazing. Thank you so much. After a short break, we'll be right back. All right, I'm getting some really amazing uh, remarks from comments from listeners. Thank you for that. All right, Peter, this is going to, you're going to have something to say about this. I know for a fact. Um, I've had moments in my life more frequently at times than others where I have had heavy weight upon my chest that is not of my own doing. It left me feeling paralyzed and fearful, barely able to think. The only way it would go away is praying through it and at times physically placing the Bible upon my chest until it would flee. Prayer is powerful, and our God is too. Yeah, there's a listener that just texted in on this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is fascinating because uh, my wife Hallie and I, and we've been married the better part of 26 years now, and, and I've had times where I've woken up at night with exactly that kind of experience. I was a little surprised when the listener described it this way because you, you wake up and there's this sort of really... Uh, you can have a scary dream, but a scary dream can just be a scary dream. But right. sometimes there's a sense in which, and I'm sure many of our listeners know, where the scary dream seems a bit more than a scary dream. There's something else going on there. And I've had that that paralyzing feeling. And I wondered about that. And, and I kid you not, Bill, we were watching um, some kind of program and then did some some further research on this. But there's literally art. And I don't remember which century it is from, but there's art that depicts people lying on their backs in bed, and, and there's some sort of um, awful-looking demonic sort ooh. of creature on their chest. Yeah, it is ooh. It, it, That's yucky. But, but what, uh, this has actually been a commonly documented phenomenon over the last uh, couple thousand years. So this listener having this experience uh, would not be alone in that, in the sense that clearly it, there has been other believers, and, and certainly in the history of the church, that that very specific thing about mm-hmm. something on the chest and 
Wow. And the only way to move it has to do with something with the name of Jesus, the scripture, something like that. Wow. All right, Bridget uh, showed up again. 29 years for family members to get sober. Oh, yep. w- what a journey that must oh, have been. Yeah, yeah. And what a celebration, right? Yes. At that time. Yes. I yeah. imagine so. And then one to two minutes for a deer to walk past the window to delight the heart of a hospice patient. She hadn't seen the deer in a week and was worried that they were gone. I said, let's pray about it. And it was in front of the window within a minute. <laughs> and, and when I finished praying, she said, look, and there was the deer at the bird feeder. Uh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, that is a great story. Yeah. That, yeah. Yes, one to two minutes. What, what, you know, yeah, you can't make that stuff up. Yeah. So if you've had a, an answered prayer, and we'd love to know if it uh, was answered in, in a short amount of time, or maybe you prayed for decades for an answer. And, and what did you learn from praying about something for decades. That takes patience and perseverance. Sometimes you feel like giving up, don't you? Oh, I would think in, in 29 years. What's the point? Then, yeah, in 29 They're days. They've sobered minutes. up in 29 years. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, what what a faithful, you know, to, to, be in, in, to be for somebody enough to continue to pray for them that period of time, because I'm guessing you've probably been impacted negatively, right, in that situation as well by somebody's behavior, but to continue to pray for them that is a really evidence that you're anchored in something different. Uh, and, and even in the midst of your own pain and struggle to, to keep saying, God, but please intercede on their behalf. That, that is a faithful heart right there. Mm-hmm. When we think about prayer, Peter, I think, you know, about David, um, and you, you assume that he had kind of a direct line to God in prayer. Right. Um, but didn't he hear a lot of, uh, a lot of the majority of God's uh, communication that came to David? Wasn't that through prophets? What sure seemed to be, right? I mean, you know, there's, of course, the classic story of Nathan the prophet coming to him, and that wasn't necessarily during his prayer. That was to inform him that he and Bathsheba were, you know, not not in a great place, obviously. But but clearly the role of the prophet was to hear from God in some ways and then to advise the king. And, uh, and that was uh, true of, of Saul as well prior to him. It's part of why Saul got into such trouble is that, uh, and, and the spirit ultimately left Saul because he kept trying to take the role of prophet away and not be uh, just king. And so the, the, the prophet and the king were meant to work together where the prophet would advise the king based on hearing the voice of God. Now, David did obviously cry out to God mm-hmm. quite often. I mean, so many of the Psalms clearly are written by David, and, and there was a relationship there of some kind. But it does bring up an interesting point, Bill, about what is the role of other people in our prayer life, right? I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we have prophets today or no. anything along those lines like the Old Testament prophets, but is it when do we know and how do we know to take the advice of other people as well that are praying in our behalf? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that is something I would love to talk about some more because what about, I mean, we go directly to God laying our requests before him and then do we wait upon an answer? Do we seek counsel among trusted brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, probably yes and yes. Yes right? and yes, right? Probably yes and yes. Yeah. And, um, and I think that part of it, because I, it's hard for me and, and maybe our listeners too, I'd love to, to get some feedback from them on this as well. But I think it's hard when you're in the midst of something that you, you are understandably very passionate about, you care deeply about, and you want maybe a certain kind of answer or outcome, right? It, it's pretty easy to kind of convince yourself that, well, God must be in alignment with this too. But, but to be with trusted other people and hearing their thoughts and perspectives, again, not just taking that carte blanche, but, but it certainly helps when there's an alignment of what I sense that I'm hearing from God, but also other people that I trust what they're hearing from God as well. Mm-hmm. What about uh, accountability in your life? When, when, you, uh, when you pray, do you ever share with people other than your wife that you've laid these prayer requests before the Lord? 
or is that do you, you talk to your friends about that? Yeah, yeah, you know, I the counsel that I that I received and uh, and and I think is helpful is that um, if you're married in that situation, it probably isn't a great idea to share things with other people that you couldn't share with your spouse. It doesn't mean that you will share with your spouse. It just means that if you're leaning into somebody else spiritually and relationally in a way that you don't feel like you can with your spouse, it's probably a pretty significant red flag that you should probably head back to your spouse and do some work there too. Mm -hmm. Guess what, Peter? I'm hearing some pretty good news. Eric the T is on the line. T Dog is with <laughs> us. T Dog is with us. <laughs> there Boy, it talk is. about sweating for 25 minutes. Yeah, we're yeah. so done sweating. Eric, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. I've been waiting for you guys, waiting with bated breath. I'm glad we're finally together. Yeah, well, we uh, we must have crossed some uh, had some cross of communication. So anyway, we're glad All you're right. with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, we, so good to be here. Yeah, we uh, we just think you're so cool. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, we uh we i just talking about prayer we've been doing it for about six weeks now and prayer is such a wide open subject that we didn't give you any particular uh, direction to go we wanted to start by first saying boy eric what have you learned about prayer prayer may be the hardest thing <laughs> i do in my life <laughs> <laughs> all right and there are few areas of my life maybe no area of my life i feel more challenged and more immature and than my prayer life. <laughs> so I have no idea why you called me to talk about this because... <laughs> for, this, for this very reason, Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. And he's, he's ingratiating himself back to us now, yeah, right? Yes. We, we love your vulnerability. For and, sure. And I think yeah. there's a lot of people that find themselves in that situation. Absolutely. Yeah, but prayer... I think requires more faith than anything I do. And I, I think part of the reason is because just about everything else we do as Christians has residual benefits, even if God isn't real. Mm. And so, uh, I mean, singing, who doesn't like to sing? Even studying the Bible, a lot of atheists find the Bible very enriching. Fellowship is good for you psychologically. So many of the things we do are beneficial, even if God isn't real. But being on your knees in a room, talking to the ceiling, is really stupid if God isn't real. And so it, <laughs> it really challenges my faith to believe that God is not just there and real, but He cares. He's listening. He, the prayers of a righteous person are f powerful and effective. I, just, I need to take God at His word in those things, because much of the time, I, I don't feel like praying. I, I don't see any immediate benefits from it very often. Uh, there are theological challenges that go along with it. Well, if God knows everything and he's going to do anything, every, everything according to his will, <laughs> what is this prayer thing about? And Yeah, so it, it there there's no area in my life I feel like I am more challenging in my prayer life. That's really, uh, yeah. really I really appreciate that, Eric. Um, I just had a, a guest on and we were talking about having worrisome thoughts. And he said, sometimes I find myself when I go to prayer... I'm spending that time rehashing my worrisome thoughts. Um, so I want you to think about that over the break, and then we'll come back and we'll pick it up there. Uh, you're uh, so listening to our prayer series. We're so glad our, our guest is finally with us. <laughs> Indeed. Eric the T. We'll be right back.
All right, we're back. We're back with Eric Tonis. Uh, he is uh, the professor and chair of theology at Biola University. And Eric was just telling me during the break that he's uh, got a new book out with uh, with Wayne Grudem, or is it uh, Eric? Maybe you'll tell tell us exactly what it is. Yeah, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, which has been really helpful for couple of decades, just came out with a second edition, and along with it, they made a workbook that I did. I worked on with Wayne and one of my former students, Brianna Smith, and it hopefully will be very helpful in making it making the systematic theology more accessible to folks who go through it. So it's just Wayne Grudem's systematic theology workbook, it's called. And that, it, uh, Eric, that was our, our sort of our primary read when I was going back through seminary as well in, uh, in 96 to 2000. So that text has been around forever, and he really does sort of take on every potential theological issue in that book. You're saying there's a workbook to kind of help you get guided through it? Yeah, I've been using it for 25 years teaching, and I feel like I co-teach with Wayne. And he, he's a dear friend and mentor, and he was my dissertation mentor in, in my PhD program, and just an amazing man. But this book has been so helpful. He wrote it for the church. He didn't write it for the academy. So it's really readable, and it's biblically grounded. The methodology is just what you want to be using when you believe the Bible's our ultimate authority and things. And he tries to make a devotional with hymns at the end of each chapter, and, and it's, it's just super helpful. But this workbook will hopefully help groups study it together. I One of my burdens is to see the church diving into theology and not just sort of superficial topical issues, but bear down on who is Jesus and, mm. and who Amen. are we as human beings and who is God and these big foundational questions that sadly tend not to get most of our attention. It's more peripheral issues that often do. Um, isn't Wayne's systematic theology book like a thousand pages? It's just like this big <laughs> yeah, book. I think one, I have a copy of it. That was not one I like to carry around, yeah. Yeah, but it, I mean, yeah, the, my students call it the doorstop. <laughs> that sounds you about know. right. <laughs> but actually, he added a, a few hundred pages to the new edition, but they came out with this new high-tech light paper. So it's it's bigger than the old one, but lighter. Nice. That is nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I appreciate it. And we'll get back to prayer in just a second, too, Eric. But I appreciate what you said about the idea of needing to be anchored maybe in something of more depth and substance than um, maybe some of the ways in which we're talking about the kingdom these days, which I understand and I sympathize with, but but I've seen my young people increasingly not have a, just sort of a baseline of understanding about a number of different things that can really then help build a life of discipleship. Yeah, and so then what we do is operate dealing with superficial issues that are often very emotional, experientially based. But just think of the issues of our day that are dominating the headlines of race and politics and sexuality. Well, if you don't have a solid understanding of what a human being is, and then therefore what our sexuality is for and to whom we answer for how we use ourselves and our bodies and everything else. Well, if you don't have those foundational biblical truths in mind, how are you then going to speak into and understand all the contemporary things in the news these days? Yeah, indeed. And Eric, we can bridge into prayer right from that place. Actually, you referenced a little bit ago about God's sovereignty and, and um, does prayer you know, even really matter at this point in time? And, and clearly a textbook like Grudem is going to address sort of that, that age-old question of agency 
agency, meaning, you know, do, do we have agency as human beings to affect outcomes in the future through our prayer life? Do our, another way to say it is, do our prayers actually matter? If God is already going to do what God is going to do, then then why do we sort of beseech or call upon or request God in prayer? How do you address sort of that balance between that sort of dual agency of God and human beings? Well, I just love the way you put that, because the problem of prayer is really a bigger problem of how an infinite God relates to finite creatures. And most of our theological issues actually boil down to that. How is it a God who's the great I am, who dwells in unapproachable light, who's free of all qualitative limitations, nevertheless have a very meaningful relationship with finite creatures? That's the bigger question that I think is behind most of our real deep theological challenges. And so prayer is one of those where, one, I do need to believe that God is sovereign and God knows everything, but I also need to believe that God is with us and not just other than us. He's with us and he's in relationship with us. And like a child getting on the floor with a a toddler, he's relating to us at our level and loves to hear from us. And so, so I think one holding in the confidence of God's sovereignty that I'm not informing him in my prayer of anything he's unaware of or giving giving counsel to him as if he needs me to do that. But at the same time, I'm his child and he has involved us in his working out of his purposes in powerful ways. And so we see throughout the Bible that God is sovereign, but our prayers matter and our prayerlessness matters in a negative direction as well. And so in the same way, any expression of faithfulness, as prayer certainly is, pleases God. Any expression of unfaithfulness on our our behalf grieves him. And so prayer is a relational thing at its core and not even primarily a way of getting things done with God, but communing with God. And Eric, in terms of some of that too, I think about it individually, we're talking about it now too, but I've always been curious, and I don't know that I have a great way to talk about the idea of how much it matters, to what extent does it matter when five or 10 or 15 or 20 people come together and begin to pray on the same about the same thing. I think about the, the sort of the classic uh, church prayer chain, right, where people connect with other people and say there's a prayer request going around. And there's something intuitively that it seems like this really matters. I want to get on board with the community, with one voice, begin praying together. But do we have any way of sort of understanding that foundationally about why that does matter or maybe it doesn't matter? How do we understand just that dynamic of a lot of people praying for the same thing at the same time? Yeah, that that's such a good question. So certainly God knows us, relates to us, loves us as individuals, and he has the hairs of our head numbered. And there's there's a uniqueness to every person, and God relates to us in that uniqueness. And, and that's a beautiful thing we need to celebrate. But God makes a people for himself. Overwhelmingly in the Bible, the emphasis is on a collective people. You can't have a collective people without individuals, certainly, but the focus on the Bible is on a collective reality. This So God is pleased when we worship him in our car uh, and are driving to work or in the shower, but there's something about when God's people gather that is showing the ideal and ultimate purpose of what he's made. And that's true in worship. It's true in fellowship. It's true in service and ministry, but it's also true in prayer. There's something powerful about the people of God gathering in a corporate dependent expression of prayer to God. 
and communing with him collectively like that, that takes what he's doing in the individual to an entirely new level. Mm. Eric, when, as Christians, we often use uh, expressions that I'm not entirely sure when it's said that the speaker knows what they are saying or what they mean by it. And when right, the receiver right. hears it, they don't know quite how to receive yep. it and understand it. But one of the ones I'd love for you to comment on is, are, are you seeking the Lord's face? Are you uh. seeking God's face in this? And when you hear that, I think, ooh, I better go study <laughs> find out what that means or ask Eric the T, see if T-Dog knows. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah now, now that happens to be an expression that I love, and I do think Good. we need to, to understand better. There are plenty of expressions that I wish we would stop using. I'm actually, I'm actually working on a book right now called 20 Things Christians Should Probably Stop Saying. Uh, actually, that's the rest of the, the hour. That, <laughs> I love it. You just changed subjects. <laughs> but, but one of the chapters, is, it's so interesting, is uh, let's pray real quick. It, it's so mm. interesting to me how often we say that. Usually I think mm-hmm. we say that because we've left prayer to the very end and we haven't left enough time for it. <laughs> so we just want to say, let's do it really quickly. But as far as seeking the face of God, I, the, the face imagery especially in the Old Testament, is a powerful one. And not just in intimate fellowship with God as being before his face, or Moses uh, speaking with God as face to face. And even in the New Testament, we now see through a glass darkly, but then we'll, we will be as face to face. So it's imagery of intimacy, of closeness. Uh, when, you're, when you're with someone's face, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's a powerful thing. It, it, it's not at a distance. It's not uh, at arm's length or anonymous. It's before someone's face. God actually uses that imagery to talk about how heinous sin can be as well. He says, you rebelled before my face. It, it, it was bold and high-handed. So, so it, seeking God's face, I think, is a beautiful way to describe prayer as seeking intimacy with him, which has to be at the core of our understanding of prayer. It's not just trying to get things from God. It's, it's communing with him. It's, it's being in his presence and enjoying him. And, and that's why I, Coram Deo is this Latin term that, that uh, is powerfully used through the centuries of be, before the face of God. That's mm. who we are. Now, that's a terrifying thing if it weren't for the blood of Christ and the grace of God that enables us to boldly approach the throne of grace. And so to be before the face of God is an awesome thing. And as his forgiven children, we get to do that boldly because of Jesus. Eric, going back to that phrase, too, about uh, why don't we pray real quick about something. <laughs> I, just, I think about the times that maybe I've used that as well. And, and, and I think it's often because I'm uncomfortable praying with other people out loud, mm-hmm. you know, right. that, that public prayer. So, right. so if we can kind of pray real quick and then get out of Dodge, right? <laughs> I, just, right. I, I mean, I'd love for you to comment a little bit about just that a little further, too. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how initiating spiritual things, doing spiritual things with other people can be uncomfortable. It can be awkward. We can at times even feel like we're being scrutinized for the words we use, which is really sad to me because Mm. especially in prayer, I don't think there's a prayer that delights God more than help. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's sort of the essence of prayer. And it just makes me sad that, that, 
unbelievers or new believers will come into church and think they need uh, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, we beseech thee to kinds of prayers, <laughs> rather than talking to God mm. and 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 relating to Him in His in, with a consciousness of being in His presence. And so, see, so, yeah, we we can be be awkward about it. We can think, I know this can be strange, and there's something to that because. There's a vulnerability to going before God individually, but especially with other people. And so it's, by, it's like joining in together in a, in a conversation with, with God who knows our frame and knows every one of our sins. And so prayer should involve repentance and worship and, and affection. And there's a vulnerability to that. Singing is the same way where it's a heart open thing. And so it's understandable that it's awkward, but man, we, we just need to get past that and have a comfortability in God's presence that invites other people to join with us in mm. our ability to go before him in that way. Eric, you said something a few minutes ago, you used the word, we can go boldly. Mm-hmm. I love the word bold. And I, I sometimes wonder, should we be using that word when we are talking to God? Because it seems that we oftentimes will say, you know, Lord, we just ask you. Um, and that's a, you know, it's an expression you hear a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. But what about, Lord, we boldly ask you? Yeah, I think the key to the ability to use terms like that, which I think we do have permission to do that from God, is to realize, and, and this is what I would want people to come away with more than anything else about prayer, is one, that it's communion with God, but it's a gospel rehearsal. It's a gospel expression that every time we are able to even lift our eyes to God and then then talk to him, it is an affirmation that Jesus has made that possible. So so every time we pray, we should be reinforcing gospel access that Jesus has brought to us. And so prayer should enhance our understanding of the gospel. Our understanding of the gospel should motivate and encourage prayer. And, and so that brings a boldness. It's, it's, it's almost terrifying to, to think, yeah, I'm going to boldly go into God's presence. What? Yeah, he invites us to do that because we're forgiven and we're righteous in his sight and we're adopted as his children. And if my, my kids are in trouble or if my kids are lonely or afraid, you better believe I'm going to open-armed it welcomed them into my presence. Mm, and, amen. And so I hope they feel a boldness, my kids, if they ever need to talk to me, even if I'm in an important meeting and they're in trouble or something, man, I hope they feel a freedom to interrupt because mm-hmm. they're my children. And so we as his children have a boldness to go before him where other people wouldn't. I mean, not just anybody can barge into a a meeting where 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 someone is, but if it's their child who who needs them, different story. Mm. All right, we'll take a short break and be right back with Dr. Eric Tanis. We're talking about prayer, but we're uh, so enjoying this time together. If you uh, have a comment, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Be right back. We're back with Dr. Eric Tonis, one of the toughest theologians we know. 
got all all four wisdom teeth pulled without Novocaine. His nails. He doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. His nails. Take them out, he said. <laughs> you realize you, we make stuff up about you, Eric? That's probably not very fair. Right? <laughs> we just like you. We do. Oh, it's fa- you. fabulous stuff you're bringing. Yeah, it's Peter, you were fussing you. over Eric during I the break. Was, but yeah, no, I just, I, I just so appreciate both the depth and the accessibility of what you're bringing to the table here and just the authenticity. I think it was helpful to hear, Eric, again, that you struggle with prayer, too, as we've been doing this series for these past several weeks, how often that the people that have been guests coming on that, that you know, we, we write books, we have fancy letters after our names and, and all of those kinds of things. And yet prayer really is a, a struggle. And I appreciate what you said, that there isn't any sort of uh, immediate psychological benefit from it. I mean, it's a risk. If God isn't real, it's, it's about the dumbest thing we can do, right? Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And, and the struggle of prayer brings to mind and to understanding so many of my weaknesses, right down to to my frailty. I, I am so glad no one has ever recorded my private prayers and mm. then played them publicly because they would say, wow, you keep repeating yourself and didn't you just, you just go in circles and wow, those three sentences made absolutely no sense at all. And then there's this long period of silence, and they say, oh, were you meditating? No, that was clearly I fell asleep is all that was. And so, <laughs> so, you know, and I remember saying that to a friend of mine once, a very wise man, and he he said – and I said, I feel terrible because I, I fall asleep when I'm praying. And he said, why would you feel – bad about that. And I said, well, it just seems disrespectful. You know, I'm in the presence of the king. You hear those kinds of illustrations. If the president were here, you would never doze off in his presence. And he said to me, Eric, do you think an old dog feels bad when he falls asleep at the feet of his master? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought, well, I like that interpretation of my prayer, my sleeping during my prayer. (laughs) But I, I I have learned over time to think more that way about prayer. Instead of just this duty that needs to look good in front of God or anyone else for that matter, it's being in God's presence consciously. I mean, Paul tells us to be continually in prayer, which obviously then cannot mean on my knees saying words directly to God, but a a sense of his presence that's so weighty that there is a communing with God throughout my days, even in the midst of conversations. You think of Nehemiah before the king, and and he's asked, you know, what's troubling you? And he says, I prayed to the God of heaven and said. Hmm. So I, I'm assuming that prayer took about uh, two seconds. <laughs> but there was a, a sense of God's presence that then guided him in his conversation. And so... So that communing with God is is how it needs to be, and and so yeah, I can be weary. I can I can not know what to pray. But how great that Romans eight tells us that that the Holy Spirit comes along with with groans that words cannot express, and He intercedes for us. He He takes my my prayer that half the time I don't even know what to pray, and He says, I know what that groan meant. Let me translate that before the throne according to God's will. And so he helps us as the comforter in our prayer life in that way. Mm -hmm. 
Eric, speaking of falling asleep, too, I'm sure that a lot of us, you know, we, we go to bed with good intentions and we're going to pray for the next 45 minutes and, and, and drift off within those first few minutes. But I would love if you, to the idea of maybe the silent retreat. And, and I, I remember reading Dallas Willard at one point saying that if you, if you go on a silent retreat, maybe for 72 hours to do what you described, commune with God and, and be in his presence, that uh, Willard said at one point, you almost need to spend the first 12 to 18 hours just sleeping because we're so hassled. Mm-hmm. We run so frantically that when you finally still yourself and become quiet, how common it is that even in your best intentions, you want to pray and commune. You just, you end up falling asleep. You almost need that time. So I'd love for you to talk about silent retreats and maybe just the merits of that. And if we do something like that, what that can be like. Yeah, really what you're touching on is a a tendency we have to over-spiritualize spirituality. Hmm. And it's really a problem the church has dealt with for our whole history. Right in the New Testament, you already have the beginnings of something called Gnosticism that makes this false dichotomy between the spirit and the flesh. And we need to realize that God made us body and soul. And what we do with our bodies affects our souls, as C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape Letters. And so... So the, what I do with my body, for good or bad, has an effect on my soul, and vice versa. The Bible talks a lot about the physical effects of, of sin, for instance. It eats at our bones, or, or joy has a physical effect. So yeah, I think it's really important to see ourselves biblically, which means holistically, not just souls walking around with bodies we're waiting to get rid of. Or, or bodies entirely, not appreciating the, the soul, and, and then approach our spiritual growth as a very embodied thing, not overemphasizing the physical at the expense of the spiritual, but to say, yeah, maybe what I need more than anything right now is a really good night's sleep or a good mm-hmm. meal or a walk in the park or, or something to just get some perspective where where I'm seeing myself in the right way. And so... Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes what we need most is the refreshment that even recreation will bring. Mm. That's such a great point. Yeah. Um, getting lots of comments, Eric. Um, you're you're touching um, a lot of uh, notes in people's lives right now. So thank you for that. Again, oh, sure. wise and and smart and everything else. So um, we just have a couple minutes left. I still have a whole bunch of questions that I don't think we're going to have time to get to, unfortunately. Um, but I do want you to maybe come back and we'll get. The 25 minutes back, we lost at the beginning <laughs> of the hour. Indeed. We didn't have brilliant. the right number. So that would anyway. be brilliant, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just so curious uh, that if maybe you would uh, give us one more little example of, of things that you wish Christians would stop doing. <laughs> this, is so a, this is a book you're coming out with? This is a book, The 20 the, Things the 20 You Wish things, Christians yeah. Would Stop Doing. Oh, gosh, saying. I am so curious. I am, too. You're I killing know. me. So I want, I want at least one more. I do, too. Uh, one more is... Um, maybe two more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one one of them is love the sinner, hate the sin. Mm. Uh, there's tr- there's truth to that expression, but I think in the long run, it leads people to think that sin is just external things. When the Bible works hard to make sure we know sin it begins in the heart, it's a mm. matter of the heart, and uh, God and and God opposes the proud. He he is he's angry with the wicked every day, and so doesn't sound like it's just things they do. It sounds like it's them. And then if we do that to sin, what's happening on the cross? You know, some objective category of sin isn't being judged. Sinners are. And Jesus is someone judged in our place. So I, I think you actually end up uh, 
diluting the gospel if you mm. try to ma- minimize sin in that way. That's just one. It's going to make a lot of people mad, but we love <laughs> our cliches. But, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I did, did want to say one more thing about prayer. Please do. And, you know, McShane says, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Man, I wow. think that's so helpful. What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. And, I mean, do we need any more examples of really impressive religious leaders having hollow souls mm. uh, to, to see that? You know, who you may be in public in acclaimed ministry can be one thing, but just who you are before your knees is, really shows who you are. But related to the gospel idea, I, I would want to leave your listeners with with this. It's one thing to see how important and wonderful it is to be able to pray to God, but how about the idea that Jesus is praying for us? Hmm. To me, that is the most encouraging thing in my prayer life is anything. He told Peter he that Satan sought to sift him like wheat, but he prayed for him. And we're told many times in the Bible that Jesus is interceding for us. Who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So he is pleading our case before the throne every second of every day. And again, listen to McShane. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Wow. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. So so to ground my prayer life in the fact that in Jesus' prayer life— <laughs> is a wonderful thing. So even in my weakness and frailty and struggles and uncertainty, what to pray for, I've been praying for some people 40 years that God would save them. And I don't know what to pray anymore, but God does. And to know that Jesus is interceding for me, he's going before the throne on my behalf is a wonderful encouragement to my whole prayer life. Mm -hmm. Eric, uh, again, sorry for the confusion as we started this hour, but thank you for being with us and you were amazing. Yep, great stuff. Thanks, guys. I so appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Eric Tannis has been our guest. That wraps up our show for the day. Peter, thank you so much. Yeah, it was a blast. Incredible blast. Yep. Yeah, have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.